How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> this is where we start to get into the famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to take a look at a bunch of things here. Not sure how far we'll get. I don't believe we'll get through the entire chapter today. Well, we'll see how it goes. You never know. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, we'll try to get to it then. Um, but in this, we're going to be just slowly working our way down through, taking a look at uh, specific uh, points, certain words, taking a look at what they mean. What does the Word of God mean by this? Where else in the Word of God does it talk about it? How can we apply it to ourselves for our own learning? So we're looking at the what, the how, and the why. The three points of Bible study, the three points of biblical um uh, the, the biblical method of uh, proper study and uh, understanding of the Word of God, inter the interpretation of the Word of God, is the what. We see interpretation is the what. What is it saying? The, the plain, clear, concise context. What is it saying? What is going on? Then we take a look uh, again, uh, slowly, take a look at the how. How is it being said? The specific words and the pictures and the images and how can we apply what we're reading with the rest of the Word of God? <clears throat> and then why? Why is this important uh, to study it this way? And why should I apply it to myself? Demonstration. So we see interpretation, application, demonstration, the what, the how, the why. And the important biblical me method of the clear interprets the unclear. What it says clearly is what it means. And anywhere else in the Word of God that may seem to have some other uh, idea, like for example, James chapter 2, we know that, that that passage is not talking about salvation because clearly we see in other passages, salvation is by grace through faith by belief alone. So the clear interprets the unclear. And we learn how to use that method. But for right now, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. So grab your tea, grab your coffee, your, your pens and notepads and all of that, and come study the Word of God. <clears throat> and I'm pretty stoked today. I get to use my new coffee cup. My uh, sister-in-law got me an awesome cup for Christmas. It's uh, ox horn, I believe, and uh, or buffalo. We think it's ox or buffalo, but it's really cool. Very, really stoked at that. So cheers. <clears throat> all right so what are you folks drinking this morning coffee or tea <laughs> coffee or tea we're just delaying a little bit before we get started so everyone else can have time to get in <clears throat> so while we're waiting for everyone else to come in um, one point I want to make for the Sermon on the Mount, we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, is what is commonly 
mistakenly presented, as we see in many um, portrayals of the life of Christ when it comes to this period in Jesus' teaching, they show um, that they show Jesus preaching to all the masses, to the crowds, and pretty much every <laughs> Jesus film of the life of Christ that you come across, they always show the Sermon on the Mount period where Jesus is preaching to the people, right? Um, <clears throat> but what does the Word of God say? Okay, if you could please take a look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Can you tell me, according to verse 1 and verse 2, take a look at these verses here, the, the introduction of chapter 5, who is Jesus talking to specifically? Who is Jesus talking to specifically? What can you tell me? It's awesome. Coffee with oat milk and cane sugar. Woo, fancy. Miss Jesus water. No, dehydrated from yesterday. <laughs> Had one cup of coffee at 6 a.m. Well, there you go. Girlie's going fancy. Oat milk, cane sugar. That's like a $10 coffee. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Purely says his disciples. That's right. As he, and seeing the multitudes, that's the masses, the multitudes that were following, that the shows, the movies, and everything always show Jesus teaching, to, to, teaching them. But look, it says, but when seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, I found a place to sit down and set his stuff and to, to get settled. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. He taught his disciples. He did not teach the crowd. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon for the saints, not the unsaved. It's for the saints only, for the disciples only, for Christians only. This, this is meant for because what this is all about is the, the, the life of the saint of seeking Christ's likeness, which comes after salvation. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a, a study, a message for, peop, for all people and all this, because all people that are not saved, what, what message do they need to hear? Repent and believe the gospel. And when you've repented and believed the gospel, then the Sermon on the Mount applies to you. Then you seek that. Because seeking, how can you seek Christ's likeness if you're not even saved? It doesn't make sense. <clears throat> so, the main thing we want to see here is who is this meant for? And then we're going to take a look at the details of all this. So we see it's applied to the saints. Now, the other thing I want to mention here too is it's interesting the the words used in verse two about Jesus when he, when he was set his disciples came to him and look what it says in verse two. Why does it say it this way? And he opened his mouth and taught them. Well, why those words? Why is it using it in that that form of description? And he opened his mouth. Well, how else would you teach? Well, the reason for this, as we see, is where is this teaching coming from? What did, uh, what did the Lord say previously in 
this kind of a context. Because first off, we got to take a look at who is Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifest in the flesh. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He, Jesus is the Word, which is God, which is made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. So Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, is, is sit, sitting there. His disciples come and sit, sit at his feet. And what does he do? He opens his mouth and starts speaking. What The words of the Lord come out of his mouth. Just as he says to Noah, uh, no, 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 uh, Moses and others, says, uh, I will give you the words with which to say in the very same hour. I will put my words in your mouth. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. That the instruction, the teaching, the doctrine, the theology comes from God, not from man. It comes from God, not from man. So the fact that these words are used here and he opened his mouth, where did the teaching, the words, come from? What did Jesus say? He's, he says, the words that I say unto you are not mine own words, but are my Father's that sent me. That's the Spirit of God is speaking through the, this, the, the body of the man fashioned by God for himself. That the Spirit of God indwelling, Colossians 2.9, that the, the fullness of the Godhead indwelling him, <clears throat> the works I do are not mine own works, but are of his that sent me. <clears throat> Excuse me. The words that I say are not mine own words, but of his that sent me. So we see that the works and the words being manifested through the person of Jesus is the very words and works of God Almighty. Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh, and that the Spirit of God is speaking through the body. Like how the burning bush is the veil covering, and the Spirit of God spoke through the bush. The Spirit of God spoke through the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory cloud, and the body of Jesus, fashioned by God in Philippians chapter 2. So we see, and he opened his mouth. Now this is one thing that I always like to stress to uh, and uh, aspiring preachers, teachers, evangelists, uh, evangelists, uh, wit uh, missionaries, and witnesses of the gospel is don't worry about the planning of what you're going to say. The fact is you just go and open your mouth and speak what the Spirit of God puts on your heart, puts in your mind, the words of God. You speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about how about how, how to say this. Just say what the Lord has said. You just say the gospel. The, the, the Spirit of God will give you the words which you say in the very same hour. Don't worry about it. So he opened his mouth and he taught them the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the doctrine, the theology the things of the Lord that, that are for us, for our learning, while we are here on earth, to help us in knowing how we should live, what we should do, how we should react to things, what we should seek for. This is instruction for the life of the saint. That's what this is all about. So, what did he say? And he opened his mouth and he taught them. So to teach. He didn't just tell them. He didn't just, he just, he didn't just inform them. This isn't like some TikTok or some, uh, some Instagram post or some Facebook post or something. This is biblical, scriptural 
in-depth, detailed teaching. He taught to teach. And so the other person sitting there will take these things and learn of them, apply them to their life, and their life will then be molded, changed by the instruction. That uh, things that you uh, that you may have had wrong, errors or issues or things would be set aside and be replaced with the truth. So your life is bettered by this and strengthened by this, edified by this. Um, uh, you are uh, taught properly to strengthen to strengthen yourself in your walk with the Lord, to, to build up your knowledge of God better. That's what this is about. So he taught. They didn't just sit around and just talk about God. This is a class, an instructional class. So he opens his mouth and he teaches them. Verse 3. What does he teach them? Blessed. Blessed of God. Blessed of God. That God, that, that God he, see, he sees certain things that are righteous, certain things that are unrighteous, that which is righteous, which God is gladdened by, pleases God. It pleases him to uh, so much that he will work with this and he will strengthen this and he, he will pour, up, pour out his blessings of his riches, his power, his guidance, his help, his, his wisdom, his comfort, his presence, all this upon these things. These are the things that God can work with that God does work with, and that God promotes. And we will be taking a look at the opposite of the things that God hates. Things that he hates, he opposes, he fights, he curses, he judges. It is seen as abomination to the, to the Lord. The Lord hates these things with a pure hatred. He opposes. So the things that God loves... And that, that God will bless, that, that God will encourage, that God will strengthen. What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean to be poor in spirit? Well, what does it mean to be poor physically? A poor person. A poor person doesn't have much of anything or may have nothing. Poor in flesh would be weakness, uh, inability. Uh, we see poor in spirit then. What would that seem to signify? Emptied of self. Emptied of self that I die to self, I have nothing of my own. I must decrease, he must increase. Then we learn to forsake all and follow him, to let go of myself, that I must decrease. I learn to humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt me in due time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those that seek the submitting of themselves under the hand of God in humility in following of the Lord. Emptied of self. Die to self. Blessed are those that die to self. Literally what you could say. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we take a look at this. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a reward. There are rewards. There are benefits to these things. And we see, what are the benefits? Unlike what Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen, these kinds of individuals, we're not going to have our best life now. We're not going to have kingdoms on earth. We're not to seek kingdoms on earth. We're not to build up for ourselves treasure on earth, but rather treasure in heaven. So we see the the ideals, the characteristics, the attributes, the things that are, are that are meant to be important to us are the things that are that are spiritual, that are eternal. Yes, there are things in this life, and we're not meant to be like monks in a monastery or nuns in a nunnery or something like that. You just hold yourself away somewhere and deny yourself literally everything. We're meant to enjoy life. That God made this world, He made all things. And that we are to enjoy God's creation, enjoy the life that the God, that the Lord God has given us, but that He is involved with it in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwells with the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with going on a vacation. There's nothing wrong with having things. It's just that the things of this life shouldn't be our number one. That we shouldn't be living our life to try to store up for ourselves a kingdom on earth. It's not about that. It's not about that. Our kingdom is not of this world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, learning and remembering to put the Lord first. That I die to self, that in everything that the Lord is to be involved, and we give to the Lord, we seek his, his understanding, seek his permission to seek his advice in all things. That's what that means. Because ours is the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. He, he, is our, he is our God, our King, our Lord, our Master of everything. And we look to Him for advice in all things. We don't seek our own advice or the advice of others, but rather the advice of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's take a look at... Oh, wow, I can't read my own writing. What did I write there? Philippians. I think that, I think that says Philippians. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Philippians 4.12. It's a problem when you're writing chicken scratch. <laughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 12. Paul writes in Philippians 4.12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. All things are done by Christ, through Christ, for Christ. Now look what he says here. I know both how to be abased, how to abase myself. That's where we get basement, the lower part of the home. So we see in here, uh, to uh, base yourself is to lower yourself is you don't choose the higher rooms you choose the lower rooms as jesus talked about about but those that's that seek the higher rooms you will be uh, you will be shamed and you will be brought down as to get rid of pride out of your life so we see a lot of principles in this blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven those that that, that abase themselves so that the lord would reign in their lives that's what that means. Okay. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights on this, please feel free to chime in. Then we see there's another blessing of God 
upon another characteristic, something else uh, that we that we should seek actively in our lives to keep always before us. We see about uh, personal abasing, uh, lowering ourselves uh, so that the Lord would reign. He'd be the number one. He's on the pedestal and there's no other pedestals. We don't exalt ourselves. We exalt the Lord and the Lord's word and the Lord's ways. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed of God. God blesses this. He loves this. Blessed are they that mourn. What does that mean? I'm supposed to always be kind of just... Just melancholic, walking around like Eeyore. You know, woe is me. And with the thundercloud over your head and you're just always downcast, always depressed. Now, is, that, is that what this is talking about? No. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. To mourn. What does he mean by this? What does it mean to mourn? Well, you think of like, for example, like a funeral. You're mourning for, for that person. So what are we mourning about? I thought we were to be joyful. I thought we were to always be rejoicing. I thought we were to be gladdened of heart and mind. And why is it saying now that, uh, that those that are blessed of God are those that mourn? Well, let's take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 10, for godly sorrow, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So godly sorrow, what is the context of this? What is it that we are sorrowful about? Our sin, our sin, our weaknesses, our inability, these things that that we are easily broken when we do mess up and we do sin we don't try to argue it we don't try to find loopholes around it we don't tr we don't try to bargain or barter or, or just bury it cover it ignore it but rather if it happens it happens and we just immediately fall on our knees before the lord i'm sorry please forgive me please forgive me I, i'm sorry for what i did i know i was wrong please forgive me that's what that's talking about is that we mourn over the weaknesses of our own flesh, of our own sin, as uh, Paul gives an example of in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, you know, woe is me, uh, uh, who will save me from, from this body of sin? The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's the idea. Personally, I have an example of this. Uh, a while back, a couple of years ago, we had uh, our dog. She uh, was a greyhound, an absolute just sweet thing, of a very fragile nature, very fragile character, uh, the littlest thing. Any form of negativity would break her. You didn't have to discipline her hardly at all. You, all you have to do is just go, ah, and she, she would just, it's just, it, it was, that's what the Greyhound is like. The Greyhound is very fragile, a, a very sensitive, very sensitive creature. 
and actually it it trained us to be a lot more merciful a lot more meek a lot more gentle in our treatment of her and it's to learning that that the greyhound is so different than any other dog i grew up with tons of other dogs and been around all kinds of other dogs i've never seen a dog like this and i had to change my very way of even talking to her if you even had a little bit of a negative tone and she'd be all and it's not it, it, that's just the way that they are and uh but in, in seeing that that helped me also understand something about how we should be in context to sin when we sin and we see this as well is the gentleness and the meekness and the mercy of god with us and that he doesn't beat us we just see the ah, ah from god by the bringing up of scripture in our mind that we are to be sensitive to that sensitive to mourn over sin is also to be sensitive to sin that the lord doesn't need to grab us by the scruff of the neck to get our attention he just it's a tap on the shoulder and a ah, ah, no i said this i said this no that's sin because this is why so what is the inverse of these things that, that we're seeing then the poor in spirit we see pride is the is the antithesis of this the opposite the poor in spirit those that humble themselves what's the opposite of humbling yourself exalting self your own self your own ideas opinions feelings all these other things what you think what you feel what you want your interpretation your life you are the authority other things are the authority but the lord says to be poor in spirit the lord says to mourn be sensitive to sin that when these things happen you'll run to the lord so what is the opposite of that arrogance unrepentance unrepentance but instead of bringing it to the lord you just go your way you don't think it's a bad idea watering down the consequences of sin compromising your own convictions blessed are they that mourn that are sensitive to sin for they shall be comforted that the lord comforts us and he strengthens us and again it brings me back i remember uh my, my dog joker uh she was just uh, so sweet on this that uh when uh she would do something wrong and you correct her ah, ah, or and you you say no and she'd be all and then what do you do is you go up to her and and you you show her and you comfort her and help her to see how to, how to do it right and you train you train God comforts us by instructing. He comforts us by instructing, by teaching, by helping us. He instructs us. I'm always with you. You're held in my hand. I will never leave you. Now, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to cast you away. I'm not going to beat you. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But look, what you did was wrong. This is why. This is what you need to do about this. And he comforts us in a loving, parental, fatherly uh, type as he is our father. He comforts us. What is uh, one of the names of the Christ? The wonderful comforter. Counselor. He's the counselor. He counsels us and he comforts. He's wonderful. The mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He, he comforts us 
by his presence, by his instruction, by his teaching. He counsels us in a wonderful sense that we look forward to it. We know that he will help us. He will never let us go. They shall be comforted. We see in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Then we go to Zephaniah. <laughs> the clean white pages of your Bible. Old Testament. One of the last uh, couple books of the Bible. See Zephaniah. And in Zephaniah chapter 2, what, verse 3. <clears throat> Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may, it may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Now, what is meekness? What is meekness? We see in the Bible, uh, it talks about Moses. Uh, Moses was the meekest man that ever walked the earth. Okay, well, what is meekness? Meekness is defined as the ability to destroy, but rather you show grace. You have power, but it's restrained. And you're gentle instead. You have the sword, but you offer the hand instead. That's meekness. The ability to destroy, the ability to consume, that you have the power over, for rather you show gentleness, you show mercy. That's meekness. As the Lord is meek to us, where he could just crush us back into the dust from which we came, but rather what does he show? Infinite grace. Grace of such that he even came down and he atoned for us. He was the atonement of our sins. And, he's, and he offers us grace and frees us and saves us from the condemnation that we rightly deserve. Grace. Grace. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That the Lord, the Lord rewards because when, when we walk in the Lord in the Lord's ways, what does he do? It says when, uh, when a man walks with the Lord, that even his enemies shall be at peace with him. So meekness is the very nature of God. You see, of the very nature of God, as he is meek to us, he shows how meek he is by what he's done for us and how he handles us. He doesn't cast us away. He doesn't beat us into the ground when we make mistakes. When we sin against the Lord, he forgives us. This is meekness. So when we demonstrate the very nature of God through ourselves by imitating of Christ's likeness, the Lord is pleased by this, glad by this, because what is he seeing? The children are imitating the parent. And the Lord rewards that. He blesses that. He loves that. And we imitate him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So what is the opposite then? This is going to get a bit controversial. What is the opposite of meekness then? Think about this. You heard the de definition, the description of meekness. Someone tell me. What is then the opposite, the inverse, the antithesis? of meekness 
What would you say? Because meekness is a very, very, very important characteristic of God. We see it in how much uh, that the Lord treats us, how he holds us, how Jesus even interacted with people when he was on, on the earth, how he spoke with people and how he even spoke with the Pharisees. But when they were cursing him and railing on him, saying all kinds of foul, disgusting things and hating on him and, 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 uh, and scheming against him, but he held his peace. He didn't destroy them. The opposite of meekness, as purely says, arrogant, puffed up, hostile, belligerent, prideful. You mean like how we see a lot of people treating other people these days over politics, social issues, health stances fill in the blank hating on others putting down others cursing others mistreating others devaluing other people all because they're different than you in some ways uh, some form some shape somehow kimberly says overbearing aggressive yep exactly so how then should we behave then when when things come up that we rightly disagree hate hate oppose things that go right against our very character the things that we stand for and all of this and how we talk about other people and treat other people how should we do so what did jesus god god almighty manifested in the flesh what did he say so he says, I bless the meek. I bless the meek. The meek will inherit the earth. All right, so let's take a look at another one. Verse 6. Blessed of God, that God blesses, God loves. He works with, he encourages, he's all about. Another characteristic. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness the hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled hunger and thirst to eat and drink to eat and drink things that you seek to that uh, to satiate your uh, your desires that that uh, your mind what you seek for your inner being what you long for that suffices you it, it's your sufficiency it's your it, it's what your life is consumed by you hunger and thirst after righteousness now what is righteousness what is righteousness well to understand what is righteousness we take a look at what is unrighteousness what does the bible say all unrighteousness is sin that's what it says all unrighteousness is sin well what is sin the things, the deeds, the, the behaviors, the thoughts, the words, the things that, that are contrary, in contradiction to, the opposite of what the Word of God says. God says, be meek. The opposite would be meekless. 
uh, where you'd be aggressive and hostile and hateful and arrogant, belligerent, violent. So we see the uh, we see what the Lord is about and what He's against. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So what is this? The very words here. What does this portray? What image comes to mind? To hunger and thirst. You see a, a man that's starving, die dying of thirst. He's longing to eat and to drink, like when you're really, really, really hungry. In a long day, you're really hungry. Your stomach's eating itself. You need to eat something. And, and but this is now spiritual. The knowledge, the wisdom, the instruction. You don't long for other books, other sources, other things. But what you long for and what you only desire, you only look at, is the Word of God. Your wisdom only comes from the Lord. Your knowledge only comes from the Lord. You converse only with the Lord in prayer. You don't call upon anyone else. To hunger and thirst after righteousness, because there's only one form of righteousness, and that is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. The ways of Christ. Not what I think, what I feel, what I want. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. So let's take a take a look at first timothy chapter 6 first timothy chapter 6 <clears throat> first timothy chapter 6 verses 11 to 12 first timothy chapter 6 verse 11 to 12 but thou o man of god flee these things and follow after righteousness godliness faith love patience meekness fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses follow after righteousness godliness faith love patience meekness what does it kind of sound like something else that comes to mind similar language similar words over in galatians chapter 5 the fruit of the spirit galatians 5 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance against such there is no law so we see what righteousness is it is even defined by a list of other characteristics to help us to understand the mentality the mental state the idea the ideology behind these things of what is righteousness according to god's standard to hunger and thirst after these things this is what you eat of what you feast of what you drink in this defines your very character this is your nutrition this is what gives you strength this is what gives you the ability to continue on so okay gotta ask the question what is the opposite of that what would corrupt this idea here of this one verse six to hunger and thirst after righteousness well you're eating of something else you're not really longing for it because you've already filled up on junk food other things that have taken your appetite you're not hungry for this you're not thirsty for this god offers you the, this nutrition you're like no i'm okay i'm all good what will cause that 
self-indulgence of wisdom and knowledge of other sources of other things or and or apathy apathy arrogance again i don't need it pride i'm good enough because i feel i think my ideas i know what's right i know what's good and you don't long after the instruction of the lord and you take it upon yourself again exaltation of self this is what the lord hates so we see much through this is there's an underlying thread there's an underlying thread that goes through all of this we keep seeing again and again and again what the lord is opposing and there are many angles to look at the same thing again is the characteristics of our enemy we see the fruits of the spirit of god what are the fruits of the spirit of the enemy the fruits of the spirit of sinful flesh the lord is giving us many different checks and balances to protect ourselves from the nature of sin and the nature and the ways of the enemy blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled they shall be filled that the lord will fill up our cup our cup runs over where does this sound like this is psalm 23 let's go back to psalm 23 just for a moment i went right past it there it is now what i want to look at here is verse 5 psalm 23 verse 5 thou preparest a table before me to hunger and thirst after righteousness what is the table of the the banqueting table the uh, the food of god the manna of god in this context thou preparest a table that mean that's not that's not carpentry carving a table <laughs> but this is setting a table setting up for a banqueting feast he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over my cup runneth over for the lord in good measure uh, it fills up our cup pressed down filled up running over righteousness the ways of god the blessing of god the strength of god the ways of god as we are his children and he looks after us he helps us okay so let's go on verse 7 blessed of god god loves god blesses god encourages god god exhorts this blessed are the merciful blessed are the merciful now mercy mercy is a different one we're very similar to meekness slightly different it, meekness is is the ability that is showing grace instead mercy is the choice of is the choice of where instead of judgment you free so like for example blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy 
Okay, well, what's a passage that, that can give this idea? Well, this is Matthew chapter 6. This is Matthew chapter 6. Let's go over to the next chapter. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. What, what is an illustration of mercy then in this context? Matthew 6 verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you're not going to be merciful to others and just forgive others and just let it go, then what makes you think that the Lord will treat you the same? It's what it says. If you have unforgiveness in your heart towards other people, holding grudges. Now we're seeing the opposite. Holding grudges unmerciful unforgiving being hateful spiteful against other people well you, you can't stand them you, you can't stand the way they think they can't stand the way they talk and you you're, you're show you're showing unforgiveness hatred arrogance all that towards them you're holding that in your heart towards certain people what makes you think that the lord will forgive you hmm does the Lord hold grudges against us? No. How often do you, do you sin against the Lord? You know, I don't even want to think about that. I, 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 I don't want to think about how many times in a day I slight God. That I, in some way, disgust god that i grieve the holy spirit of god within me i don't want to think about how many times you do this and the bible even talks about sins sins of ignorance sins that i'm not even aware of that i am even doing sins of ignorance sins of presumption secret faults the things that I don't even know that I'm doing. And, and But the Lord shows mercy. He shows meekness. He shows grace. And he forgives me. He, he, he draws and convicts and he forgives and doesn't just forgive. God does not just forgive us. He forgives and forgets about it. That's what it says. God chooses to throw it away so far that it's gone and it's never brought up. It's never mentioned again. It will never be held against us. God forgives and forgets. God says, if you will not forgive and forget about the faults of others that they do against you, neither will I forgive and forget yours. All right. That can be a hard one sometimes, can it? Because there are a lot of people in this world that we just love to hate. And immediately, someone has come to your mind. Family member, friend, coworker, a person out, out in town that you see once in a while, an old, an old acquaintance from school, who knows what. Other people holding differing views on different things political 
individuals that we just love to hate can't stand them we hold grudges against them we despise them i don't even want to see them don't even want to hear them we're all at fault we're all at fault in that one but the lord says no but look if you want to follow me because look at who is jesus talking to look what it says the words are important disciples discipleship if you want to be a disciple of jesus christ and these are the prerequisites these are the things to look for this is how we change ourselves this is what we how we are to modify ourselves uh, after uh, after these are the characteristics the natures the principles that should be the defining factors of our lives that's what it says you can argue this all you want you can go yeah but well i think well you, you know, well you're being too strict well i believe you could say all you want you can go be do have whatever you want you can go identify as a as an arrogant pine tree if you want to. I don't care. But I'm just saying, look, this is what the Lord says. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's the list. Here's the prerequisites. This is how it's to be. This is how, how you, you should be modeled after. This is what should be the defining factors of the very nature of your being. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? This is how. Repent of everything else cast out everything else anything that contradicts the very nature of jesus christ should be opposed should be judged evaluated by scripture and then treated accordingly if it contradicts the word of god even remotely ignore it push it aside have nothing to do with it this is how we should be the the merciful according to the attributes of god According to the character of God, poor in spirit, that uh, uh, sensitive, mourning over sin, uh, 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 the, the way that the Lord sees it, this is how it is. It's an immediate reaction, an immediate reaction, meekness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. For they shall obtain mercy. Let me see verse eight. Blessed of God, loved of God, the very character, the nature of God, blessed are the poor in sorry sorry, not poor pure i can't read pure in heart the pure in heart blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god okay the words kind of give it away here you want to see god need to be pure of heart wait a minute so are you saying that if i'm not pure in heart i will not see god yeah that's what that means so as a saying what is pure in heart how can i be pure in heart that's salvation the, uh, because well many in that day will cry lord lord there are many religious people that can illustrate these characteristics an unsaved religious person can show 
poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They could be merciful, charitable, loving, kind. They could do all this, all that stuff. And they still won't see God. They will, they will hear, I don't know you, depart from me. They will be screaming, Lord, Lord. But Lord, Lord, have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? You see, there's pure in hand, pure in charity, pure of mind, pure of being, but, but then there's purity of heart. How can I be pure in the heart? Well, we can't. I have no purity of my own. I have no righteousness of my own. I have no ability of my own. All are fallen away. All are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That my heart is corrupted. Foul. Dirty. Impure. My mind, my tongue, my heart is impure. The only purity is the purity of Jesus Christ. And we see Ephesians 3.17 that Christ lives in the heart of every believer. So he is the purity of the heart. So this is belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am then saved. And he washes me clean by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. So if you want to see and understand the Lord, then your heart needs to be dwelling in the purity of Jesus Christ. Not in your own ideas of purity, of, of, of uh, 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 obtaining and uh, abstaining, uh, doing and not doing and achieving and achieving. Not by the doctrines and traditions of men. Not by our own religiosity. I can't make myself pure. There's only one who can make me pure. By the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not, nothing of my own. So if I want to see God, literally, I need the purity of Jesus Christ. But then there's also this another aspect, another angle of looking at this, because Jesus is talking to his disciples who are saved, except for one, Judas Iscariot. We see verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see the Lord working in your life? Well, what's another illustration here, an example? Looking through a window. Looking through a window that's all fogged up, a window that's all dirty and scuffed, you can't see clearly. You need a pure looking glass. You need a pure window, pure clean window, pure clean mirror. To be able to see purely, to see clearly with full vision, you need to get everything else out of the way. Get self out of the way. You want to see the, the, the hand of the Lord at work. You want to see the Spirit of God moving in a situation. You want, to, you want to understand the presence of God. Your heart needs to be pure. Innocent. Empty of self. Where, nothing, where it's nothing of yourself, it's all of Him. Again. There it is. The purity of Jesus Christ. Where Peter walked on the water so long as it, so long as his sole focus was Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. 
He saw the power of Jesus Christ, but when he started to corrupt his vision, and he started to doubt in his heart, his faith wavered, and he sunk. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to see Psalm 24. Go back to Psalms, Psalm 24. And we want verses 4 to 5. Psalm 24, verses 4 to 5. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Jesus is quoting Psalm 24, verses 4 to 5 in that one. Now look what it says here in verse, in verse 4 of Psalm 24. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. What does that mean? Can someone tell me? What's your thoughts there? What does it mean to have clean hands? Well, you just go just make sure you, you wash your hands of soap <laughs> that's what the, like the catholic church or something like that would teach or the cults would say no they don't they don't get it because without the spirit of god you can't understand the word of god they make up their own ideas their own interpretations but what does it mean to have clean hands lord are my hands clean by whose standard clean by whose standard Melissa says clean hands is pure deeds. It's a way to look at that. Well, 1 John 1 9. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To be washed in the blood of the Lamb washed in innocency clean by the washing of god that he washes us that when we walk in the presence of god in fellowship of the lord and in a repentant heart before the lord seeking the lord in all things that the lord has his continual cleansing that the water of the lamb the water of christ cleanses us and we are seen as clean and pure and innocent before god what is the opposite not walking with the lord not washing ourselves but walking in our own filthiness and our own idea of what we think is clean well i don't have a problem with this so i don't see this as wrong it's easy to be sinless when you keep redefining sin <laughs> But, if I walk by God's standard of things, and again, this is where we see poor in spirit, mourning, hungering, thirsting after righteousness. Pure in heart, pure by the cleansing of his water, his soap. How he washes us. You, you take the little kid who's been playing outside, 
And you say, okay, go wash up for dinner. And they go to the bathroom and they run their hands under the water, splash their face or whatever. And they come back, sit at the table and you take a look at their hands and they still got dirt under the nails. They still got dirt, mud and stains all over them. They're clean by their standard. But that's not your standard. You said you said to wash completely. You said to wash up. So you have your you have your idea of cleanliness, but then there's God's idea of cleanliness. So what does the parent do? No, 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 no. Ah, uh -uh. this is how you do it. And the parent takes the child, and then the parent takes the scrubby, scrubs completely, scrubs the nails, and washes them up. Shows the child what it means to be clean by the parent's standard. So what does it mean to be pure by God's standard? It, uh, your hands are clean by God's standard. Pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then you will see, oh, that's what it, it means by God's standard. You will see God. You will see what he means. You will get it. You will have the understanding. You will have the knowledge. You will grasp it. You'll get it. That the unsaved person sees God by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit upon them and they see their sin by God's standard they see the cross by God's standard they see what they need to do by by God's standard and they believe and then the Christian you want to see and understand God fully then this is his standard of cleanliness purity meekness mercy and he teaches you not our own idea but his what does it mean to be repentant of a repentant heart to wash ourselves before the Lord by God's standard? You see that? Verse 9. Blessed of God, loved of God, God loves the God blesses. This is a part of God's character. What's another one? Verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. I always have to throw a clarification in this one. For our Texan brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, no, this is not a cult peacemaker. Yeah, I'm sure the cult peacemaker could make peace pretty pretty easily, but that's not what this is talking about. The, the, to be a peacemaker means, uh, reverse the words, a maker of peace, by God's standard. A maker of peace. Let's take a look at this one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So we see now that with the previous blessed characteristics, the blessed characteristics of God, this is all inward. We see it coming from the heart and are walking before the Lord. But then we see uh, something has changed. The focus has changed here, as we see in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to them who come and ask you the hope within you. About now it's an outward. This is James chapter 2 about the outward. The outward. Others now see this. They see something in you. Uh, uh, of a certain behavior 
because where where does this idea of peace come from where it says that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee when our mind is stayed on the lord on the lord's ways the lord's instruction the lord's characteristics attributes where our minds are stayed on christ likeness something manifests something comes out of this as a byproduct out of you will flow springs of living water which is the what peace of god peace that the other people see you're not rattled by the things that are going on that you you have a peace about you a presence about you that others can sense feel see and it gets their attention it draws them blessed are the peacemakers that you seek to make peace a, a place of peace to make a presence of peace illustrations of peace you want to make peace with others by mercy forgiveness purity meekness mercy you make peace because you serve the king of peace the prince of peace the god of peace that the spirit of peace is upon you and you want to manifest this the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And other people will know, know this because it's you serve the Lord. It's because of Jesus Christ. The reason you have such peace about you is because of Jesus Christ. And it opens opportunities of witnessing. What's the opposite? Fighting. Hating peace, opposing peace, being unmerciful, unforgiving. There's no peace in the things that you are doing. It's chaos, war, tumult, sowing discord, the things that God hates. Not making peace, but opposition, trials, tribulation, trouble. The Lord hates those things. Those are, those are things of judgment, the things of condemnation. These, these are not the loved things of God. God is a God of peace, and he, and he desires that his children would walk in peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. As scripture says, that, that, when, a, that when one walks with the Lord, that even his enemies shall be at peace with him. Think about that one just for a moment the lord said that you can say ah oh, well well all you want but the lord said that so how can i alter my life then How can I then walk in peace in such a way that even my enemies would be at peace with me? Well, you can't please everybody. The righteous man foresees the evil and hides himself. He doesn't go to war. The righteous man foresees the evil and hides himself. He doesn't go to war. 
is you don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I I don't I don't want to butt heads. I don't want this discussion to get out of hand. That I keep myself in a state of non-opposition. With exception of one thing. Exception of one thing. I oppose false Christs. I'm in opposition to the gospels of hell. But again, not arrogantly, rather in a gentle dogmatism. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't preach Christ in contention, rather in peace. How can I present the king of peace in a chaotic way? How is this reflecting Jesus Christ when I'm being arrogant and belligerent? How can I represent Jesus Christ in the gospel of God if I'm if I'm at each other's throats? Think about this. Because what's the point? A disciple of Jesus Christ for what? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. It's about the gospel. It's about salvation. It's about the cross. So how can I represent the cross if I'm not representing the Christ of the cross? So you see, peacemakers, merciful, meekness, all of these things have a point and a purpose not just for myself benefit to keep me close to god that is an aspect but the reason is for service if i want to be a disciple of what for what why what purpose what reason why am i following jesus christ a fisher of what souls souls if i want to have the the best opportunity to reach people for Christ, this is how. I, I'm not following these things just so that God will answer my prayers and I can get whatever I want, do whatever I want. I have my best life now. I can, I can just I can just have a peace of mind. No, 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 no. These things are given so that others might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing on him, they might have life through his name. This is the attitude, the character, the attributes, the nature through which, by which, we represent and preach and teach and evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what is the very next following verse, right after peacemakers? What is the, what is the whole point of this list? Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are representing the kingdom of, of heaven. We are representing the righteousness of God. Look, for righteousness' sake. Whose righteousness? Christ's. We are representing, we are promoting, teaching, witnessing, evangelizing, preaching, proclaiming the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're being persecuted for it. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Look at it again. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and, sh and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For my sake. We're being hated, persecuted, opposed, killed. Why? What, what reason? If you just go out in public, and you're just a loving, friendly, nice, merciful, meek, pure, gentle, sensitive, righteously behaving, peace-loving individual. The whole world will love you. Everyone will love you. Everyone will like you. Everyone will get along with you. But the moment you open your mouth about Jesus Christ, all hell breaks loose. All the devils of hell come up and all the, the, the sin of hell comes out of other people and they oppose you, stone you, hate you, imprison you, drive you out, curse you. They laugh at you, mock you, scoff you. They'll do everything against you. Lie about you, oppose you in every way, shape and form the moment you start talking about Jesus Christ. But if you're just a nice, loving, warm, friendly, kind person, everyone will love you. So what is, what's the schism? What, what, what is it that is causing the issue? You will be hated of all men for my name's sake. Persecuted for righteousness's sake. They will hate you because of me. You'll be persecuted because of me. 